Section 6 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott, 1754 to 1829. Section 6. The History of Prince Zain al-Asnam and the Sultan of the Genie. Part 1. A Sultan of Bussara, who possessed great wealth and was well beloved by his subjects, had no children, which occasioned him great affliction, and therefore he made presents to all the holy persons in his dominions to engage them to beg a son for him of heaven, and their prayers being effectual, the queen proved with child and was happily delivered of a prince who was named zain al-asnam which signifies ornament of the statues the sultan caused all the astrologers in his kingdom to be assembled and ordered them to calculate the infant's nativity they found by their observations that he would live long and be very brave but that all his courage would be little enough to carry him through the misfortunes that threatened him the sultan was not daunted at this prediction my son said he is not to be pitied since he will be brave it is fit that princes should have a taste of misfortunes for adversity tries virtue and they are the better qualified to reign he rewarded the astrologers and dismissed them and caused zayn to be educated with the greatest care appointing him able masters as soon as he was of age to receive their instructions in short he proposed to make him an accomplished prince when on a sudden this good sultan fell sick of a disorder which all the skill of his physicians could not cure perceiving his disease was mortal he sent for his son and among other things advised him rather to endeavour to be loved than to be feared by his people not to give ear to flatterers to be as slow in rewarding as in punishing because it often happens that monarchs misled by false appearances load wicked men with favours and oppress the innocent as soon as the sultan was dead prince zayn went into mourning which he wore seven days and on the eighth he ascended the throne taking his father's seal off the royal treasury and putting on his own beginning thus to taste the sweets of ruling the pleasure of seeing all his courtiers bow down before him and make it their whole study to show their zeal and obedience in a word the sovereign power was too agreeable to him he only regarded what his subjects owed to him without considering what was his duty towards them and consequently took little care to govern them well he revelled in all sorts of debauchery among the voluptuous youth on whom he conferred the prime employments in the kingdom he lost all command of his power being naturally prodigal, he set no bounds to his grants, so that his women and his favourites insensibly drained his treasury. The queen his mother was still living, a discreet, wise princess. She had several times unsuccessfully tried to check her son's prodigality and debauchery, giving him to understand that, if he did not soon take another course, he would not only squander his wealth, but also alienate the minds of his people, and occasioned some revolution, which perhaps might cost him his crown and his life. 
what she had predicted had nearly happened the people began to murmur against the government and their murmurs had certainly been followed by a general revolt had not the queen had the address to prevent it that princess being acquainted with the ill posture of affairs informed the sultan who at last suffered himself to be prevailed upon he committed the government to discreet aged men who knew how to keep the people within the bounds of duty zayn seeing all his wealth consumed repented that he had made no better use of it he fell into a profound melancholy and nothing could comfort him one night he saw in a dream a venerable old man coming towards him who with a smiling countenance said know zayn that there is no sorrow but what is followed by mirth no misfortune but what in the end brings some happiness if you desire to see the end of your affliction set out for egypt go to grand cairo where great prosperity awaits you the young sultan was struck with his dream and spoke of it very seriously to his mother who only laughed at it my son said she to him would you go into egypt on the faith of an elusive dream why not madam answered zayn do you imagine all dreams are chimerical no no some of them are mysterious my preceptors have told me a thousand incidents which will not permit me to doubt of it besides though i were not otherwise convinced i could not forbear giving some credit to my dreams the old man who appeared to me had something supernatural he was not one of those men whom nothing but age makes venerable there appeared a divine air about his person in short he was such a one as our great prophet is represented and if you will have me tell you what i think i believe it was he who pitying my affliction designs to relieve it i rely on the confidence he has inspired me with i am full of his promises and have resolved to follow his advice the queen endeavoured to persuade him but in vain the sultan committed to her the government of the kingdom set out one night very privately from his palace and took the road to cairo without suffering any person to attend him after much trouble and fatigue he arrived at that famous city like which there are few in the world either for extent or beauty he alighted at the gate of a mosque where being spent with weariness he lay down no sooner was he fallen asleep than he saw the same old man who said to him i am pleased with you my son you have given credit to my words you are come hither without being deterred by the length or the difficulties of the way but no i have not put you upon undertaking such a long journey with any other design than to try you i find you have courage and resolution you deserve i should make you the richest and happiest prince in the world return to bussorah and you shall find immense wealth in your palace no king ever possessed so rich a treasure the sultan was not pleased with this dream alas thought he to himself when he awoke how much was i mistaken that old man whom i took for our prophet is no other than the production of my disturbed imagination my fancy was so full of him that it is no wonder i have seen him again i had best return to bussorah what should i do here any longer it is fortunate that i told none but my mother the motive of my journey i should become a jest to my people if they knew it accordingly he set out again for his kingdom and as soon as he arrived there the queen asked him whether he returned well pleased 
he told her all that had happened and was so much concerned for having been so credulous that the queen instead of adding to his vexation by reproving or laughing at him comforted him forbear afflicting yourself my son said she if god has appointed you riches you will have them without any trouble be contented all that i recommend to you is to be virtuous renounce the delights of dancing music and wine shun all these pleasures they have already almost ruined you apply yourself to make your subjects happy by securing their happiness you will establish your own sultan zain vowed that he would for the future follow his mother's advice and be directed by the wise viziers she had chosen to assist him in supporting the weight of government but the very night after he returned to his palace he saw the old man the third time in a dream who said to him the time of your prosperity is come brave zain to-morrow morning as soon as you are up take a little pickaxe and dig in the late sultan's closet you will there find a rich treasure as soon as the sultan awoke he got up ran to the queen's apartment and with much eagerness told her the new dream of that night really my son said the queen smiling this is a very positive old man he is not satisfied with having deceived you twice have you a mind to believe him again no madam answered zayn i give no credit to what he has said but i will for my own satisfaction search my father's closet i really fancied so cried the queen laughing heartily go my son satisfy yourself my comfort is that work is not so fatiguing as the journey to egypt well madam answered the sultan i must own that this third dream has restored my confidence for it is connected with the two others let us examine the old man's words he first directed me to go into egypt there he told me he had put me upon taking that journey only to try me return to bussorah said he that is the place where you are to find treasures this night he has exactly pointed out to me the place where they are these three dreams in my opinion are connected after all they may be chimerical but i would rather search in vain than blame myself as long as i live for having perhaps missed great riches by being unseasonably incredulous having spoken thus he left the queen's apartment caused a pickaxe to be brought him and went alone into the late sultan's closet he immediately began to break up the ground and took up above half the square stones it was paved with but yet saw not the least appearance of what he sought he ceased working to take a little rest thinking within himself i am much afraid my mother had cause enough to laugh at me however he took heart and went on with his labour nor had he cause to repent for on a sudden he discovered a white slab which he took up and under it found a door made fast with a steel padlock which he broke with the pickaxe and opened the door which covered a staircase of white marble he immediately lighted a lamp and went down the stairs into a room the floor whereof was laid with tiles of chinaware and the roof and walls were of crystal but he particularly fixed his eyes on four shelves a little raised above the rest of the floor on each of which were ten urns of porphyry he fancied they were full of wine well said he that wine must be very old i do not question but it is excellent he went up to one of the urns took off the cover and with no less joy than surprise 
perceived it was full of pieces of gold. He searched all the forty, one after another, and found them full of the same coin, took out a handful, and carried it to the queen. The princess, it may be imagined, was amazed when the sultan gave her an account of what he had discovered. "'Oh, my son!' said she. "'Take heed you do not lavish away all this wealth foolishly, as you have already done the royal treasure. Let not your enemies have so much occasion to rejoice.' "'No, madam,' answered Zayn, "'I will from henceforward live in such a manner as shall be pleasing to you.' The queen desired her son to conduct her to the wonderful subterraneous place, which the late sultan her husband had made with such secrecy that she had never heard of it. Zayn led her to the closet, down the marble stairs, and into the chamber where the urns were. She observed everything with the eye of curiosity, and in a corner spied a little urn of the same sort of stone as the others. The prince had not before taken notice of it, but opening found in it a golden key. "'My son,' said the queen, "'this key certainly belongs to some other treasure. Let us search well. Perhaps we may discover the use it is designed for.' They examined the chamber with the utmost exactness, and at length found a keyhole in one of the panels of the wall. The sultan immediately tried, and as readily opened the door, which led into a chamber, in the midst of which were nine pedestals of massive gold, on eight of which stood as many statues, each of them made of a single diamond, and from them darted such a brightness that the whole room was perfectly light. "'Oh, heavens!' cried Zayn in astonishment. "'Where could my father find such rarities?' The ninth pedestal redoubled this amazement, for it was covered with a piece of white satin on which were written these words, "'Dear son,' It cost me much toil to procure these eight statues, but though they are extraordinarily beautiful, you must understand that there is a ninth in the world, which surpasses them all. That alone is worth more than a thousand such as these. If you desire to be master of it, go to the city of Cairo in Egypt. One of my old slaves, whose name is Mubarak, lives there. You will easily find him. The first person you meet will show you his house." Visit him, and tell him all that has befallen you. He will know you to be my son, and conduct you to the place where that wonderful statue is, which you will obtain with safety. The young sultan, having read these words, said to the queen, I should be sorry to be without that ninth statue. It must certainly be a very rare piece, since all these together are not of so much value. I will set out for Grand Cairo. Nor do I believe, madam, that you will now oppose my design. No, my son, answered the queen, I am not against it. You are certainly under the special protection of our great prophet. He will not suffer you to perish in this journey. Set out when you think fit. Your viziers and I will take care of the government during your absence. The prince made ready his equipage, but would take only a small number of slaves with him. Nothing remarkable befell him by the way, but arriving at Cairo, he inquired for Mubarak. The people told him he was one of the wealthiest inhabitants of the city, that he lived like a great lord, and that his house was open, especially for strangers. Zayn was conducted thither, knocked at the gate, which a slave opened, and demanded, "'What is it you want, and who are you?' "'I am a stranger,' answered the prince. 
and having heard much of the Lord Mobarek's generosity, am come to take up my lodging with him. The slave desired Zayn to wait while he went to acquaint his master, who ordered him to request the stranger to walk in. The slave returned to the gate and told the prince he was welcome. Zayn went in, crossed a large court, and entered a hall magnificently furnished, where Mobarek expected him, and received him very courteously, returning thanks for the honour he did him in accepting a lodging in his house. The prince, having answered his compliment, said to Mobarek, I am the son of the late Sultan of Bussorah, and my name is Zayn al-Asnam. That sovereign, said Mobarek, was formerly my master. But, my lord, I never knew of any children he had. What is your age? I am twenty years old, answered the sultan. How long is it since you left my father's court? Almost two and twenty years, replied Mobarek. But how can you convince me that you are his son? My father, rejoined Zayn, had a subterraneous place under his closet, in which I have found forty porphyry urns full of gold. And what more is there? said Mobarek. There are, answered the prince, nine pedestals of massive gold, on eight whereof are as many diamond statues, and on the ninth a piece of white satin, on which my father has written what I am to do to procure another statue, more valuable than all those together. You know where that statue is, for it is mentioned on the satin that you will conduct me to it. As soon as he had spoken these words, Mobarek fell down at his feet, and kissing one of his hands several times, said, I bless God for having brought you hither. I know you to be the Sultan of Bussorah's son. If you will go to the place where the wonderful statue is, I will conduct you. But you must first rest here a few days. This day I treat the great men of the court. We were at table when word was brought me of your being at the door. Will you vouchsafe to come and be merry with us? I shall be very glad, replied Zayn, to be admitted to your feast. Mobarek immediately led him under a dome where the company was, seated him at the table, and served him on the knee. The nobles of Cairo were surprised, and whispered to one another, Who is this stranger, to whom Mobarek pays so much respect? When they had dined, Mobarek, directing his discourse to the company, said, Nobles of Cairo! Do not think much to see me serve this young stranger in this manner. Know that he is the son of the Sultan of Bussorah, my master. His father purchased me, and died without making me free, so that I am still a slave, and consequently all I have of right belongs to this young prince, his sole heir. Here Zayn interrupted him. Mubarak, said he, I declare before all these lords that I make you free from this moment, and that I renounce all right to your person, and all you possess. Consider what you would have me do more for you. Mubarak kissed the ground, and returned the prince most hearty thanks. Wine was then brought in, they drank all day, and towards evening presents were distributed among the guests, who departed. The next day Zayn said to Mubarak, I have taken rest enough, I came not to Cairo to take my pleasure. My design is to obtain the ninth statue. It is time for us to set out in search of it. Sir, said Mobarek, I am ready to comply with your desires, but you know not what dangers you must encounter to make this precious acquisition. 
"'Whatever the danger may be,' answered the prince, "'I have resolved to make the attempt. "'I will either perish or succeed. "'All that happens in this world is by God's direction. "'Do you but bear me company, "'and let your resolution be equal to mine.' "'Mubarak, finding him determined to set out, "'called his servants and ordered them to make ready his equipage. "'The prince and he then performed the ablution "'and the prayer enjoined, which is called farce.' and that done they set out. On their way they took notice of abundance of strange and wonderful things, and travelled many days, at length being come to a delightful spot, they alighted from their horses. Mubarak then said to all the servants that attended them, Do you remain in this place, and take care of our equipage till we return? Then he said to Zayn, Now, sir, let us advance by ourselves. We are near the dreadful place where the ninth statue is kept. You will stand in need of all your courage. End of part one. End of section six.